For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Anshi Spoke Podcast. On today's episode, we welcome Mary Shores. If any of you have your own podcast, there are probably a few people out there that you think, hmm, one day, one day she'll be on my show. Mary is one of those guests for me. I discovered her while preparing to appear on someone else's podcast, and the episode I randomly chose to listen to was an interview with Mary Shores. Her story was like nothing I had ever heard, and I was captivated immediately and ran out and bought her book, Conscious Communications. What is so captivating about Mary? It's just such an incredible story. She is such a deeply spiritual being, and she runs a debt collection company right there. That's a great story in and of itself. But today we're going to go a little deeper. You'll learn about the loss and trauma and poverty that she experienced at age 19, how she takes over a failing debt collection business from her mother, how she changes the way her staff communicate, just changes words, and her revenue increased by 34%. We will learn her views on money and debt, and we even hear about the Akashic Records and debt collection. She now runs a multi-million dollar debt collection business, one of the most unique collection agencies in the U.S. because it focuses on communication, integrity, and accountability. She is a renowned author, speaker, and consultant, and teaches her groundbreaking conscious communication system to businesses and individuals all over the U.S. This is such a good one. Please enjoy Mary Shores. All right, so welcome, Mary, to the show. We're so thrilled to have you. 
My pleasure. I am so excited to be here. You know, being a guest on a podcast is just one of my favorite things in the world to do. Yeah, us too. I live in the world of podcasts. My life has been changed from listening to podcasts. And actually, I discovered you from a podcast because you were on, who was it? Dr. Megan Walker. Oh, love her. A while ago. Yeah. And I just was, I was actually interviewed on hers. And so I was like, just learning about her and, you know, her work and who she is and how she interviews. And then you were the guest. I just sort of randomly chose. I'm like, who is this woman? (laughs) Like you had such a story, like such a story. And so let's just go there right now. Do you want to tell our listeners who are not familiar with Mary Shores, what is your business? What do you do? How'd you get into it? Because it is not the normal story. And I love it so much. Yeah, sure. I would love to. And you know what? Thank you for taking me down that memory lane of Dr. Megan Walker. I think I've been on the show a couple of times and I've spoken at her event. So she had an event in Toronto, which I just had like a blast speaking at. And yeah, I love her. So where do I start? Well, really, I'm one of those people who does a whole lot of things. So I'm sure you have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to the show. And that's me. Like, I got the entrepreneur bug when I was really young. But a lot of people sort of look for a big empowerment story. Like, oh, she must be super empowered because she's done all these things. And I'll tell you that the truth is, through years of self-discovery, that I discovered that really it's because I had a lot of fear, because I had a lot of tragedy, because I had a lot of trauma in my life that started early on. And as a matter of fact, you know, I don't know about you, but this whole, like everything that's happening with COVID and self-isolation, it's like it's dialed up the volume Mm -hmm. on some of those internal issues even more. Everything's amplified. Right. So it's like it's bubbled it up to the surface. And so for me, a lot of the things were that in early childhood, I dealt with a lot of abandonment. And I have abandonment issues to this day. And the way that it affects me is like, I'm always worried if I do something wrong with one of my team members, they're going to resign or, you know, it affects me in relationships. Okay. Because, you know, if you feel dependent on a team member, then you might worry if what would happen if that person left you. So I had some early childhood trauma around abandonment. But then when I was 16, I was out of my own. And then when I was 19, I had an incident. I was giving birth and I had an incident where my child had lack of oxygen to the brain for over five minutes. So what that looked like was she was tragically blind. She was deaf. She had no human reflexes, so she couldn't suck a bottle. So she was in a NICU unit for, she was on complete life support and she spent the majority of the year and a half of her very short life living in a children's hospital. And so here's the thing though, that I was only 19 years old. And I think that it took me, like I'm still processing because when you're 19 years old, you're a juvenile yourself. And I was in a very serious life and death situation every moment of every day. I was seeing things that you can never unsee, like children in a cancer unit or in the burn unit or, you know, children that had you know, things that you don't even know exist and watching them pass away, watching their parents. And I had nothing. I mean, I was 19 years old, completely flat broke. We didn't even have money for food or somewhere to sleep. So I used to sleep on the emergency room floor. 
And as tragic as that sounds, when Haley passed away, I felt very behind my peers. So by this time, my peers were beginning to graduate college. They were beginning to, you know, they were getting their shit together, right? Like they were getting their first jobs and they were just doing the things young adults do. But I didn't have any of those things. I didn't have a college education. So I thought it would be a great idea to open a business. And the business that I got my opportunity to start was a collection agency because my parents had owned a collection agency and my mom was kind of winding down. She was ready to move on. So I just reached out to a handful of the clients and I said, Hey, would you give me a chance? And like a few of them said, yes. And that's how I got my start 22 years ago. And so did you buy that from your mom or did you just take a handful of clients and start your own company? So if I'm being really honest, the story was um, much more scintillating than that. My mom through, uh, you know, I told you I had a traumatic childhood, but my mom had managed to mismanage her business so terribly bad that she sort of ran out of town in the middle of the night kind of a situation. And she was in a full on bankruptcy. And so there's a lot of details to the story, but really, no, it was not like a handing over of the torch. It was not like, it wasn't any of that. It was like, there's a sort of desperation to it. But yet at the same time, I thought there was a little piece of me that thought I can do this because you know, the thing is when you're that age, you're kind of dumb. You know, you're kind of naive and you kind of just don't know what you don't know. And in watching my own son, who's now 19 and my other son, who's 20, there's also this sort of like, I know it all in the world and there's a fearlessness. And so I just jumped in and like I said, wrote a letter to these clients and some of them said yes. And some of them made me pay back some of the funds that my mom had somehow not taken care of properly and everything was fine. It was like, it was meant to be in the end. So was it just that that was the business? Like, did you love the idea of running a debt collection agency or was it just like, here's an opportunity for a business and I make a go of whatever business it is that I have? So when I was a kid, one of my favorite sitcom television shows, if anyone's old enough to remember sitcom TV was uh, Designing Women. Do you guys remember that oh, show? Yeah. Yes. And it was always like the girls and the, the women and they had their cool little business and they all hung out together. And that's kind of what I wanted. Like I wanted to be a businesswoman, but I don't know of any person alive that if you ask them in high school or college, what kind of business they want to have. I don't know of anyone who would say, oh, I want to, have I want to be a debt collector. collector. I want to be a debt collector. And especially because, you know, that line of work is very incongruent with some of my spiritual beliefs. And so I had to really have a reckoning with myself because at some point throughout my 22 year career, I thought like as my personal development began to go into spiritual development, I thought I was going to have to give up that line of work. And really that line of work then became my mission because my mission is that I want people to feel good about paying their debt because having a debt is a psychological burden. And it's a burden that 
according to my research, shows will get in front of people. It's like the problem isn't the debt itself. It's the problem is our mindset around the debt. The problem is the conversations we have around the debt. The problem is the way that the debt collectors call people up and traumatize them over the debt. And so my mission became very clear that I was supposed to be involved somehow in changing the, the conversation that we have around debt in this country. I want to know the timing of things. So you didn't, when you took over that business from your mom, you were not in, were you in a spiritual place then? Like, had you started that journey yet? That's such a great question. You know, so are you two, I'm, I'm going to assume you guys are spiritual yourselves. Yep. Okay, cool. I like that. I like the spiritual people. <laughs> so what I would say is that when I was in, when I was very young child, I was a very mystical, I'm a Scorpio. So mm -hmm. I, I think I was always very mystical, but I didn't really live in a community that would know how to have that conversation. And when I would say things like, I remember being a child and I would tell my stepdad, I would say, you know, I'm pretty sure there are civilizations that are hundreds of thousands of years old and we're just not ever going to find them. And he would say like, oh, that's crazy. Stop reading the Inquirer, you know? <laughs> so I think that I was always mystical, but that it was really not encouraged. You know, it wasn't an encouraged thing to talk about the things that I wanted to talk about, which now, of course, that's very, very different. But we're talking like in 1980, there was not the time, at least in my little Midwestern town, to be talking about all things spiritual. So, you know, what that happened was I went super on the science side of things and I really got geeked out on neuroscience and I got geeked out on anything to do with the cosmos. So I loved things like string theory and anybody who could tell me things about pulsars and quasars and things out in the universe. And eventually I started to connect all these dots and I realized that science and spirituality are talking about the same thing, but they just use very different language. And I am so excited because I feel like today we're really starting to bridge that gap. We're starting to bring those two sides, science and spirituality, together to meet in the middle. And I think what like kind of gets in the way of that is, and not to step on anyone's beliefs because all beliefs are valid, is that I grew up Lutheran. And so there were certain things that I have a belief system about that might have scared me off a little bit about like more spiritual concepts, but I've been able to completely get rid of all those beliefs and just let the thoughts flow where they will. So can you tell us about the moment, so you're running this debt collection agency, you think that this spiritual path that you want to go down or are on is not congruent and you'll have to perhaps give that business up. What, what, tell us about that moment. When was that sort of reckoning or that recognizing that this is your purpose about making people feel good about paying their debt? Like, what was that moment like? So it was, there really was a moment and it had been on my mind sort of in a, crisis of meaning that I had wrote in 2011, I wrote this document called the magic eight and the magic eight was eight things that I wanted to accomplish in this life before I pass. And the list was pretty lofty. So the number one thing on the list was enlightenment. Mm, just just <laughs> a small like, thing. This is, <laughs> I feel so silly now that I wrote that 
because who would like, first of all, I, in 2011, I mean, the, the concept of enlightenment was cool, but I probably could not have put a comprehensible definition behind it. So I'm looking at this enlightenment and I know that I want to attain enlightenment. I have since come to realize maybe not this lifetime it's going to happen. I got more work to do. So I'm looking at that and I'm going to myself, you know, how am I going to attain enlightenment if I'm a debt collector? Because I think the tax collector in the Bible was not a popular dude. Like that guy, nobody liked him. Like nobody on any side of anything liked him. Right. (laughs) Because, and I just wrestled with that. And then one day I was in uh, this very magical spot in Rhinebeck, New York called Omega Institute. It's one of my very favorite places to go on earth. This was the first time I ever went there. It was to see uh, Dr. Brian Weiss for some past life regression work. And I was sitting on the porch and we were sitting in rocking chairs and there was this lady there. She happened to be the Akashic record reader. And so I'm talking to her about my company and I'm talking to her about, you know, I don't know how I'm going to reach enlightenment if I'm a debt collector. And she said, honey, don't you get it? Your mission is your debt collection company. She said, your mission is is the fact, she said, it's not that you're a debt collector. She said, it's the way that you go about it. It's because you're so intentional about the way that you collect debt. That is the important thing. And she said, that is your mission. And she said, believe it or not, when people have issues with debt, they could have come into this life with some sort of karma that they're trying to work out. And that karma could be potentially like part of this debt situation. And then she told me the thing that really sealed the deal for me. She said, every time you're consciously helping someone clear up their debt, she said, you are actually releasing their karmic debt. So you're, I actually have a section in my book called karmic debt collecting. She said, you're releasing their karma. And she goes, and you're releasing your own. And I was just like, oh, I like that. How many years into the business? Was that how many years? So this would have been in about 2014 when I had that conversation with her, but I had already made the pivots in my company starting in 2005. With the way to communicate. Right. So I had already been doing things drastically different starting in 2005, which just was taking like one little piece of communication at a time and then using the laboratory of this call center I had to measure the reactions I was getting. So Mary, I think this would be a great, I mean, I'm so familiar with your story, but I want to make sure that everyone else understands. Can you just drop into what that communication, the words, you have a book called Conscious Communications. Can you talk about how you discovered that, the impact it had on your business? And then I want to talk about debt and all your amazing thoughts and beliefs around money and debt. Sure. So yeah, it was, so I'm having this collection agency and I mean, I was reasonably a nice person, so I thought that it would be really cool if I tried to collect debt using sales. And whenever I tell anybody that, they're like, oh yeah, that's really smart, but it failed. (laughs) And it failed badly because you know why? Because all the other debt collectors were calling people, threatening them. And who are you going to pay? Like the nice guy, or are you trying to get the monkey off your back? 
You know what I mean? So I was losing out to all these other sort of, I call them the nasties, you know, like I was losing out to the nasties. And then one day after just like, you know, hours and hours of daily stressful phone calls, very high tense situation. I just looked at the phone and I said out loud, I just want the next person who calls to be happier at the end of the call than they were at the beginning. And that literally was the moment that happiness became my new North star. I didn't know how I was going to do that. I just, I feel like it was a call out to the universe. And then the first thing I did was I just decided that I was going to eliminate negative words. And I don't know why I got that idea. Now I would say I downloaded it, but we didn't hear the list, which is just a list of words we never say. And if you own a business, I suggest that you write these words down and figure out how to eliminate them. So it's no, not, can't, won't, however, and unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which like you know, very obvious, but really hard, right? So I've actually given your work to our team lead for our support desk. And I'm like, challenge the, the people who are helping the inquiries that are coming in to not use these words. And it's like, sometimes it's like, do you have this feature? No, we don't. But like, how else could you say that, right? Thank you so much for suggesting I'm going to do this and this with it, right? It's just so interesting to be able to challenge your mind. So easy to say, no, I don't have that. No, I can't do that. Nope. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't do that. Unfortunately, we don't have that yeah. product. So the way that you would respond is to say, I'm so glad you asked about that product. And then you go into what you do have. So you tell them what you do have, because oftentimes the customer doesn't necessarily possess the language. And so they may be asking for something that we don't, we try to fit things and compartmentalize them into little boxes right? Especially with a training situation with our team. And the reality is we need to get curious. We need to start asking questions like finding out what they need. So I call that asking calibrated questions. We want to ask them like, well, what is your goal with this particular product? And then when we listen to how they're responding, now we can say, I'm so glad you shared that with me. Fortunately, you're in luck because I have the perfect solution for you. It's so easy. It just takes practice. It's just practice and sort of rethinking it. Absolutely. Well, and often people ask for something because they don't realize how else they could do something or what other options might even be better. And I think that's what we're, we're actively pursuing in our work too, is like re- is redirecting the conversation to something. Like there's a reason typically why we wouldn't, in our case, have a feature. It's not always just because, oh, well, we just never thought about it, right? Like usually there's a decision that was made that was strategic. So I think that that practice that Sandy took that pack of words from you, Mary, and incorporated into our company has been really powerful. Thank really- you. So thank you. What a compliment. So I have in my trainings that I do, we have a certain set of milestones that we like to teach people. And one of them is called navigating the no. And so navigating the no, because what I've learned is it's very difficult if you just tell somebody, don't use these words, because Mm. what you have to do, just what I did. (laughs) Well, I will tell you something, Sandy. Eliminating the negative words increased my revenue 34%. Okay. So without knowing anything else, what was going to happen in this system, the revenue went up 34%. Now I want to tell you that at that time I was probably 33, 34 years old. 
And having a revenue bump of 34% to me felt like I was winning the lottery. You know, like I didn't know that something like that was possible. I was expecting like, you know, seven to 10% growth every year. 34%. I felt like the richest woman in Babylon. (laughs) um, The next part about it really was I need to figure out how to bypass those words and what to say instead. So through a lot of trial and error, what I found out was that the real problem with debt and the real reason that these other collectors were beating me is not necessarily because of the fear, which is a big part of it, but it was because of the shame and the unworthiness Mm -hmm. that they were experiencing. So having a debt is an unworthiness issue. It's a shame issue. And so when I learned to address that by taking in the concepts of the emotional needs, like the number one human need is to feel heard and understood. And so you guys can use this too, because what we need to do, it's like in the mind, we have like a checklist. And in order to move on in a conversation, we need to check the box that we've been heard. So when a customer is asking for a certain product, the first step should be, I need to make sure they have felt heard. Oh, I completely understand what you're looking for. I'm so glad you shared that with me. You know, and depending on what they say, like maybe they're sharing a concern. Oh, I can see why you're concerned. You know, I can understand that you're concerned about this. And then when you provide that empathetic statement, and empathy is becoming a big word now because of COVID. I mean, it was already big in my heart because of Brene Brown, but you know, the rest of the world's catching on to the empathy bug, right? So how, but we can't just say be empathetic. We have to show someone how to do it. And in order to check that box so someone can move on, we tell them that we make sure that they know they've been heard and understood. And then you want to follow that right up with the seed of happiness. Because when I really started getting into this and I started studying that neuroscience, what I studied was neurobiology. And that means that we want to create serotonin, dopamine, vasopressin, and oxytocin in the brain and body of our customers. So if you create those four hormones with whomever you're speaking to, you'll always make them feel better. And if you go back to my aha moment, I said, I just want the next person to be happier at the end of the call. So can you give us an example? Like if somebody owes money and they don't have it, and how would you bring out the dopamine and serotonin? Like what is an example of what you would say? Like I owe you money and I don't have it and I feel horrible and I'm embarrassed and I feel shame. How are you going to make me feel, where's, bring out the dopamine and serotonin in my body? So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, Sandy, I understand. So many people are telling us the exact same thing. You are not alone. That's what I'm going to say. I feel calmed already. Did you know you are not alone is the number one high converting phrase in online marketing. Hmm. Right and that, it's right that about feeling. It's so writing it down. <laughs> so if you think about it, there's a feeling that it gives you. 
And feelings are really dictated by the neurobiology. It's dictated by whatever hormones. And so whenever someone is going into a debt conversation, they're coming into that conversation at the lower end of the frequency scale of emotions. So they might be feeling some despair, some sadness, some anger, you know, frustration. And our job is to bring them up that frequency scale of emotions. And so the first thing is the way to feel heard and understood is to say, you know what? I understand. So many people are telling us exactly the same thing. So you are not alone. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Like this person isn't going to attack me. I just wrote a blog yesterday three pivots for negotiation. And pivot number three was act the opposite of what the consumer is expecting. Mm, I love that. Right? So act the opposite. Mm -hmm. And once I have sort of brought you, like relieved some of that pressure, right? It's like taking the pin out of the balloon or whatever you would call that. Just take off some of the pressure a little bit. Now you can start to see me as an ally instead of an enemy. Because as soon as you have made someone feel heard and understood, you move them into positive feelings. And when you move them into positive feelings, then we move into what I call the connection zone. Now the connection zone is a very sweet spot because that's when we can really feel like things are moving forward. And what we've done is we've taken that person out of fight or flight and we've put them into this problem-solving area of their brain. That is very important to create a path to an agreement. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live-streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. Unlike other startups, Namastream was created by women for women. If you're looking for a simple, streamlined way to build and grow an online business, you can learn more at namastream.com. You know, this reminds me so much of parenting, (laughs) what you're talking about. I mean, everything you've been saying for the last 15 minutes is like, this is these are the just sort of natural things I've picked up on in parenting a small child, right? Like saying no is a really disastrous thing to do with a child, right? And there's a whole school of parenting philosophy that advocates for that. But it seemed just like even saying not right now, which is still negative, it tends to ease so much tension than just saying no, or not maybe tomorrow, or how about we talk about this another time? Like those things redirecting that. So it's not just a stop. Oh my God, are you like living my life? (laughs) It's so funny. And and here's what I want to say to that, to add to what you just said, because you're so correct. So the reason why the list of words on the do not say list is so important is because those are the first words we learn in the human language. Mm. And they're always associated with punishment and consequence and negative feelings. And so if you know anything about how like neural connections work. Okay. So anything that triggers something that happened like in the birth to whatever birth to seven, then our brain is going to start running a program. So if you say no to somebody, then you're running that toddler program, right? So if you can have the patience and this takes a lot of patience to learn how to say to that child, I'm hearing you, I'm understanding you. And the great news is in just a moment or in five minutes or after I get out of the bathroom, because that's when my kids come after me, (laughs) then the good news is we're going to talk about this. But, you know, I was personally 
you know, parenting has been a struggle. And I think partly like being a single mom. And also, if you've ever heard that concept that you teach what you need to learn the most yourself, you know, I can see where that shows up in my parenting and how I wish that I was much more of a patient parent. And here's my advice to any of you moms who are also entrepreneurs is to just fake it till you make it. There's no other way. Just fake it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Mary, can we talk about money? Let's talk about money. Before we started recording, Mary's like, I might say something controversial that might be, you know, someone might get, do it. Let's hear it. I want it. I want it all. So having grown up, the way that you did with your mom. What did you learn about money? What are your money beliefs now? Debt, everything. Tell us all the things. So my personal money belief is that money is a, it's a made up thing. It's not real. Okay. So you're not going to hear me say things like money is energy. All right. That's some like new age, new age. <laughs> that's what a friend of mine over at the Monroe Institute calls things. She's like, oh, that's new age. <laughs> uh, but the, point, the point is, think about it. Money is a made up concept. Our money is a piece of paper and it's made up and it's backed by things that we don't probably even understand unless we have a PhD in finance. And I don't have a PhD in anything except for trauma. So the first thing to understand is that money is made up. Money does not define anything about who you are. It's that we have so many beliefs and needs because the problem is that we are set up in a society that is so far removed from how humans lived on this planet in the way back machine. And when I'm talking way back, I'm talking like, let's go back to the Druids <laughs> or the Essenes, you know, go back to the people and they were in tune with nature. And the more that we get away, you know, humans are naturally wired for empathy, but there is this huge disconnect that has happened to us because when we were growing up, we were constantly taught to disconnect ourselves from the feelings. And what we've replaced that with is how we are dependent on money and our finances. And I am not trying to pretend that money isn't important because we all need basic structures to live. Okay. But what happens is we get so worried about how we're going to meet ends meet that there's a certain portion of our brain space that's being occupied by worrying about money, no matter how much money someone has. So for example, I was at a movie, like a movie festival in my town. We have a film festival every year. And one of the director's wives, I was having dinner with her. This was a very famous director. And as soon as she found out what I do, she started crying at the table. She was like 85 years old. And she started crying. And she said to me that a couple of years ago, she had given all her money to a financial advisor who was basically like a con artist. And he had taken a lot of their family's wealth from them. And she had to sell her mansion and move into a smaller mansion. And of course I'm like, yeah, I feel real sorry for you lady. But in listening to her, she was like, I can't pay for my grandchildren's education. Like she had deep wounds and she talked to me about what it was like growing up Jewish in New York. And when she took her first trip out of the country and and it was just so fascinating to listen to all of this guilt and shame that she had attached to this decision. 
and I've done the same thing. And so here's what we need to understand. Money is just money. You'll always make more. So if you lose some, don't worry. Tomorrow, you'll make more. Okay? And that we need to be get over this idea about some of the stuff that I see happening in the spiritual community, which is like, oh, we need to uh, charge what we're worth. We really need to actually study financial planning. Like I'm not going to play. Okay. We really need to study how people who run businesses run their finances. Okay. It's not hard. We need to plan more than one week in advance. We need to be planning a budget. We need to be understanding how to live within our means because that's a problem that gets us into trouble is when we begin to live beyond our means. You don't, you need to understand what's the difference between a need and a want. So a need is I need a car for transportation. A want is I want a Tesla or I want a Mercedes Benz or like right now I want a Range Rover. <laughs> well, or a new Bronco. They're coming out. <laughs> Is it today? Fall of Broncos. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm like I've so never excited. Heard you talk I'm, about Broncos before, Jenny. God, badass. <laughs> See, I want a badass vehicle, and so you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna tell myself when I hit X Y Z milestone. I actually did this the other day because I have an online program that I have started for debt collectors, and I said when I get 35 clients, I'm gonna buy my Range Rover. I'm not going to go out tomorrow and buy my Range Rover. And by the, by, here's what's funny about me. By the time I get to that 35th client, I won't right. want the Range Rover. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the smart thing about long-term planning is like, it gives you a chance to really figure out what you actually want. <laughs> yeah. And if you find yourself owing someone money, then just realize that's okay. Because the problem is not the debt. Everyone's really on the same side. Everyone's on the same team because they all want the same solution. So, you know, when I was a kid, I played Monopoly a lot. And, you know, there was only one way to play, win Monopoly, which was you had to bankrupt all your friends. So the reality is we need to change that kind of concept. It's not a, I can only win if you lose. Mm-hmm. We need to be on the same side and realize how to work together. Oh, I love that. Monopoly almost destroyed my marriage because of how competitive I am and how like the how that game just pits people against each other in a totally unnecessary way. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's been banned from my house. Yeah, I mean, so thinking about money though, I want to I'll go back to something you said at the beginning of this part of the conversation where you said it's not about charge what you're worth. Do you want to say more about that? Like, where did that come from? So it came from because I would see that posted all over Facebook and Instagram. And I'm a CEO, you know, I'm a, that's my, I'm a CEO by trade. I've been a CEO for 22 years and I would see those posts and I would laugh my ass off because you should charge based on the value of your services and the experience that you provide. Someone doesn't become a coach overnight and then just decide that they're going to have these exorbitant prices because they paid some other coach whose job it is to coach the coach and then tell them. And then that became like a very trendy concept. So instead of charge what you're worth, 
charge what your true value is by understanding what your value is to the client. What is your unique value proposition? And understand that experience wins the game. Because one of the things that is super laughable to me is when I see a 23-year-old wants to be a business coach. <laughs> well, that happens a yeah. lot. <laughs> it does happen a lot. <laughs> So here's something that happens in our industry a lot, and we have our own way of responding to this, but I want to hear what you would say to, to folks, which is that in this space, people need what I do so badly, so I'm just going to stick a donation button up, and I don't want to charge for it because the universe is asking me to provide these services. And so like, I push back hard on that because I think that's an example of going really too far the other way where it's like... Don't make yourself free because then you're devaluing everyone else in this space by changing. So like changing what the market expects. Like we're, we don't want to reinforce the fact that this should be free. Right. So we need to be business people first and we need to put our CEO hat on and this is how you handle it. Okay. So I had this come up. I was at a, a breathwork retreat a couple years ago. It was beautiful. I was with uh, Judy Kravitz. So Marie Forleo has done a great job setting up a scholarship for her B-School program. And so I'm going to encourage your audience to do the same thing. It's a really simple process. First, you're going to decide how many free scholarships you're going to give away in a given period of time. So either per quarter or per year, I recommend per year. Then you're going to set a process around it, meaning that there's going to be a selection process. So whether that means someone fills out a very short application and then you have someone else in your organization go through and select who it's going to be, and then you let go of it. So it's that you're going to just... As part of your business plan, you're going to decide, I'm giving three memberships away per year under these circumstances. How does that feel to you? Uh, that feels great. It's exactly Good. what I would recommend. Yeah, it's Good. perfect. Yeah, and I think that the other side of this too that I like to push back on is, is equity, right? So just, I don't like rewarding just the loudest people also. Like there's this whole idea that other people are paying and they may have similar financial constraints or issues and they found a way to pay and make decisions and choices. And I don't want to penalize the people who've done that by giving something away to people who just happen to ask. So I think by having standards in place, like what you're suggesting, Mary, is really the only fair way to do it. Because otherwise, it's not fair to the people who are paying. Now, the key here is that the decision maker has to be somebody other. If we're talking about yoga, the key here is make someone else the decision maker who's not the owner. Because, you know, what is the point of a policy? You're not going to so you can be on the ready with what the free local resources are. So in my town that I live in, there's free yoga all over the place. Yeah, I think that's right. And then on the internet, there's YouTube, right? So everyone who wants to access free yoga on YouTube has like an endless amount of yoga that they can and partake And we need to in. say that. It's like, that could be a mantra. There's no mm -hmm. shortage of free yoga. There's no shortage of free yoga. I am a generous person because I am giving away three scholarships a year for my studio. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mary, do you still have your collection agency? I do. Is that still runs. And then you still, you do, you have your book, you've got your public speaking. People can hire you, right? As a consultant. 
We do. Thank you so much for asking. So yeah, I have my collection agency. It is thriving. We really specialize in doing that high compassionate collections. The book Conscious Communications continues to do super well. I'm very proud of that. It's like my, it was my lifelong dream come true to publish with Hay House. And I'm very proud to say that my book was published um, prior to Louise Hayes passing. And Mm. I also do in-person and virtual communication training for businesses. So a lot of companies just have different communication needs or they need like a customer service strategy set up. My real mission is I want to transform 3000 collectors. And what kind of companies hire your collection agency? Like what kind of debts are you collecting? So it's mostly medical. It's mostly in healthcare. And outside of that, it's, you know, just any local business that has not been paid. I mean, we have everything from memberships, you know, gym memberships to mm, local heating and air companies to like our community college. If you have a, an accounts receivable department, chances are someone has not paid you. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting interesting niche that you're in. Jenny, do you want to do Join Hustle? Yeah, let's do it. So Mary, at the end of every episode, we ask our guests for an example of a joy. So something that's bringing you joy in your life right now and a tool that you would recommend for our listeners to help them hustle in their career or their business. Absolutely. So what is bringing me joy is in our current situation, and I don't know the airing of this podcast, but our current situation is very much into that spot of working from home a lot. And that was never something I did before. So my joy is actually that my self-care routine went out the window, which kind of sucks. But I've been able to stay up on my sleep. So I go to bed very early every single night and I get up at five in the morning and I stay out and write for three hours. So for three hours before anyone else has even three hours, three hours, I just like downloading the whole nine yards just, and my content has exploded because Ever since the beginning of coronavirus, you know, people are reaching out, like people are reaching out even with the civil unrest. They're like, we need somebody who can tell us how do we address this issue with our company? How do we address it like in our chamber of commerce meeting? And so I'm just constantly like flowing with these ideas and it has been such a joy. And so before COVID, I never would have done that. You know, I would have just... I don't know, puttered around the house until it was time to drive to work. Hmm. What time do you go to bed? So <laughs> you're going to laugh. I have gone to bed as early as 7.30. I am wow. that. And I, I am wow. not a cat lady, I promise. But I have gone to bed as early as 7.30, but typically it's 9.30. Wow. I have just decided when I'm tired, I go to bed. Good for Done. you. That's like my, that, that is like the biggest lesson I need to learn in life. So good for you for setting that example. I go to bed. I mean, what else am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Waste time on the internet. (laughs) That's what everyone else does. (laughs) Watch Netflix. So good for you. Well, and that is just showing that you're prioritizing your values, right? Like you're wanting to create space for yourself in your morning so that you can write and do that important work to you. So you're willing to sacrifice on this other stuff that doesn't matter. I know three hours of writing a day. It's not 30 minutes. It's three hours. 
That's you know, so it's not that I'm, I'm not necessarily writing a book. What I'm writing is business strategies. What I'm writing is who can I reach out to? I'm writing like things I want to post on LinkedIn, which is my favorite social media. I'm writing like who, like I wrote a dream 100 list and the dream 100 list was just 100 people I would love to connect with and collaborate with. So the writing isn't necessarily like I'm writing a story or I'm writing a blog. It's all just different. It's me and my notebook alone with my coffee on the front porch for three hours. Wow. That's just something to aspire to. Thank you. That's amazing. What is your hustle? My hustle is definitely the launch of my brand new online program, which is all about collecting debt. And just the hustle is going from a brick and mortar company, which I've always, always had, right? With the collection agency to moving into the online space. You've probably been in the online space for a while, but for me, it's like I'm having to make my brain sweat and learn different strategies. So that's definitely my hustle. I like the term brain sweat. I might need to steal that one from you. Go right ahead. Brain sweat. Thank you, Mary. Where can people find you? If they want to learn more about your work, where do they go? Well, my website is an easy place to find me, which is just Mary Shores. S-H-O-R-E-S.com. And if you like the things we talked about today, I really encourage you to go on Amazon, check out Conscious Communications, read some reviews in the description, and you'll know if it's the book for you. Yeah, I bought it. I loved it. I highly, highly recommend it. We've been talking about you since I read that book. So that's why it's such an honor to have you on as a guest and actually talk with you. So thank you for the time today. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. That was very thoughtful. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free. 